Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. This podcast is lucky number 13, and it's called What Can Go Wrong When Cleaning and Disinfecting? We have Jim Goche as our presenter on this podcast. My name's Lorinda Becker, and I'm your host today. As part of the Diversity Hygiene Academy, you will have some slides on the topic, a video recording, an audio recording, and a quick narrative on the content. There are many different ways that you can use these tools for your use in learning. Please feel free to sit back, listen, and learn. A podcast about cleaning? Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. So, Jim, welcome today. Thank you, Lorinda. I'm glad to be here. So, I have a great question for you, Jim. I know that when we do cleaning and disinfecting, it seems pretty straightforward, right? You just take that pixie dust that's in your your juice or on your wipe, and you wipe a surface, and we're done. Is that right? Well, I wish it was that easy. Uh, But when I look at cleaning and disinfection, I always feel there's about 10 different things that we really should look at. And, you know, if I did a quick summary of them, some of the issues that I face is we can't see the bugs. Um, People, if they're afraid of a product, aren't going to use it. We've got products out there that are really harsh on surfaces, and I wanted to talk about that too. We got issues around disinfectants that just dry in no time at all, and you don't get any kind of a wet contact time on surfaces. We've got issues around the cloths that I see being used. You know, I watch people wipe surfaces with dirty cloths, thinking that can't be good. We've got issues um, that I know from a chemistry perspective around how our cloths react with some of the cleaning chemicals that we use. I see huge problems with people not knowing what they're supposed to clean and disinfect. I've seen some chemicals out there that people want to keep hidden away because they're so dangerous, so nobody can actually see them. We've got people that will avoid using some chemistries because they stink or that they're afraid of them. And we've got issues around when we actually delete chemicals. So, like, you know, there's 10 things there that could be an issue. Wow, that's a lot to think about, Jim. Is it okay if we maybe walk through them, like, you know, maybe one at a time, because that's a lot of things to think about. If you think about germs being invisible, I mean, can you talk a little bit about germs, like how big they really are and why are they invisible? Yeah. Well, the thing that we have with, when I say germs, I'm talking about all microorganisms, right? And and just by definition, microorganisms, they are so small, you have to use a microscope to see them. So if we use a scale, and I'm a metric kind of guy, but bacteria run around two to five microns, um, which isn't very big. That's what like a micron is one thousandth of a millimeter. A millimeter is one thousandth of a meter. Uh, roughly a yard. So they're tiny, 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 tiny. And then viruses are another thousand factors smaller. So because we can't see them, we have to be very certain that when we do our cleaning and disinfection, we do it very consistently because we don't know what's there. So we always have to assume there's more there than we can see. If we can see visible soiling, that gets back to the steps that we have to take to do an effective cleaning and disinfection. But it's more having a good product that's going to clean in case there's lots of stuff there, a product that's going to kill very quickly any of the bacteria that are there. You know, as an infection control practitioner, if bacteria were the size of a baseball, it'd be really easy because then you look around going, okay, I need to clean here, 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 here. But because they're microscopic, we need to be very careful and um, diligent in how we clean surfaces. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and I did listen to the podcast number one, which was basic uh, terminology. And I know that a microscopic organism is something you have to look at under the microscope. So you'd never yeah. see it with the naked eye, right? Yeah, that's so, it. Yeah. So, so Jim, you, you talked a little bit on the next um, button. And I, I remember the triangle or something um, of safety. What, what do you mean by that? Like, what, what do you have to worry about on safety? But there's a lot of different chemistries Lorinda, that we can use as a disinfectant. And some, you know, just even taking household bleach and diluting it, we all know that can be hazardous, right? You look at your bleach bottle, it tells you that, hey, you don't want to get this in your eyes. You don't want to mix it with other chemicals because it releases nasty gas, stuff like that. There was a new disinfectant that came out for hospitals that has parasitic acid in it, uh, which is sort of a very strong vinegar smelling stuff. And... There was instantly complaints and concerns to the point it was actually published in some of my medical journals that I read, where the staff were saying, you know, when I come to work and use these products, I end up with runny eyes, nose, allergy symptoms, and when I go home, it all goes away. When I come in the next day, um, I've got my runny nose, my eyes, and they actually did a survey to show that, you know, these chemistries can be dangerous. There's safe ones out there. Uh, and that's what I'm always emphasizing to people. You want to use the safest product possible because people aren't going to put this stuff down. There's another study with that same disinfectant where they actually wanted to you know, use what they thought was a much more effective disinfectant. So they audited what was being cleaned, brought in this new disinfectant that really stinks of vinegar, and instantly found they weren't wiping as many surfaces because the staff that were using the product didn't like it, didn't want to get it near the patient, and they just wiped it less. So you want to make sure you've got something that people are going to use properly to take care of those bacteria that we can't see. Well, that makes a lot of sense because if you don't like the smell, it's probably going to be a little bit less uh, pleasant to, to use it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jim, if you, you, know, you talked about that. If you have like a harsh disinfectant or, you know, a stronger disinfectant, what if you just use a mild disinfectant? Can you use it on all the surfaces? Well, one of the things we run into is I don't think there's one disinfectant that you can use on every surface around. Um, you know, in a, in a hospital setting, I've heard numbers like 500 different composites could be involved, right? Because a lot of our surfaces that look like plastic will have three or four different chemicals that have been combined to make that surface. So there's just not one disinfectant out there that will work on every single surface. All the companies are trying to find something that's highly compatible with every surface. And, you know, I think we're getting closer to having stuff like that coming. But we also hear from people that your disinfectant ruined my surface. And the one story I loved is we went in and the hospital was saying, you know, your disinfectant, when I wipe it on our black mattress, all the black comes off of my cloth. So your disinfectant is killing my mattress. And our person that was there said, well, show me what you're talking about. And so she said, look, I wipe this mattress, it all comes, the black comes off of my ray. And the, our person said, well, listen, let's do the mattress next door. Look at nothing came off of it. How old are these mattresses? And the person from the hospital is going, oh, yeah, the mattress that I first did is probably at least 10 years old, and that's a brand-new mattress that we just brought in. So sometimes it's the life expectancy of the product that we're trying to clean has expired, and hence we're starting to see some damage. Now, don't get me wrong. As I said before, if you've got bleach, it's going to be really hard on some metals. It's hard in your clothing. That's why we don't want to have it around your blue jeans because you're going to end up with those white spots. So there is a balance that we try to find. Uh, that is harsh on the bacteria, but not harsh on the surface of assets. 
But at the same time, you've got to appreciate there's a lot of surfaces out there that probably shouldn't be in healthcare or in our buildings because we can't really disinfect them well. Right. And I know just, you know, from some of the areas I've worked in with schools or offices, there's a lot of vinyl, there's a lot of plastics, there's a lot of different things to think about for sure. So, um, and, and I, I remember um, something about dry before they die or something like that. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about just the wetness or I think they call it kill time? Yeah, not a problem. And, and basically every manufacturer that makes any kind of a disinfectant product, whether you buy it at your store or whether you buy it in a healthcare, uh, from a healthcare distributor, the product's been tested how long it takes to kill organisms, be they bacteria or viruses or fungi or spores. We test it and then tell you how long it has to stay wet to achieve that kill so that we can call it a disinfectant. And there's many disinfectants out there that to try to get a short, wet contact time, they have to add things like alcohol or other solvents to make them very effective. But as you all know, if you spill a little bit of rubbing alcohol on a surface, it evaporates off pretty darn quick. Um, and that's the problem. We get a very quick kill time, but it won't stay wet for that contact time. And we've got a lot of disinfectants, the older disinfectants that are like a 10-minute wet contact time. So we, you know, if we're selling our 10-minute quad out there, we say to people, you know, you're probably going to have to apply this two to three times to get that 10 minutes. And that we have to remind people, because if you want to be certain that those invisible microorganisms are gone, you got to keep it wet for that entire time that's on the label. And our regulatory body, the EPA in the United States and Health Canada up here in Canada, will make us put on our label how long it has to stay wet. And I've seen labels that will say, you may have to reapply this product to achieve this time, because uh, that's, that's the law. We have to have the time on the label. And if you want to be in compliance, you have to follow the time on the label. Wow, I never knew that. And, and thinking about a 10-minute contact time, I can't imagine it even staying wet in most cases for 10 minutes. Exactly. A lot of times, you know, if you stand there with a stopwatch, it'll be dry in maximum two, two and a half minutes. Uh, so you're going to be applying it quite a few times. Oh, got it. Got it. So is it best to use like a a disposable like a paper towel or cleaning cloth or reusable cloth like what what's the best way to actually apply the disinfectant a lot of that depends on the chemistry really i know i like simple i like that uh, kiss uh, principle of keep it simple silly um and so to me i would like something that i just have to take out and wipe the surface and i'm done so it's a pre-wetted wipe um, part of the problem you know there's a lot of disinfectants that you can dilutes from a concentrate, you put it into a bucket, you apply it to a surface. But there was a study done where they actually looked at some of these cloths that go off to be laundered and come back from the laundry, and they found that 94% of the cloths that they checked that had just come back from the laundry had live bacteria on them already before they even got used. Wow. Now, I've had people say to me, but yeah, but Jim, if I'm going to use a, a cloth that's got some bacteria on it, I'm putting it in a disinfectant, and then I'm putting it on the surface, so that should kill all of them. And I said, well, it's not that easy, especially if you're taking one of these dry cloths, fresh, clean cloth, to clean up a water spill. You may actually be putting bacteria on the surface that you're leaving there. You're never going to stop to think that, hey, maybe I should now disinfect that surface where I just wiped up the juice. But you may have actually left bacteria on the surface. So there's also that issue of, 
uh, things like there's cloths that we call microfiber that are supposed to pick up really, really well because they have all these little tiny fibers and they like to pick up dirt and they like to pick up bacteria. And some of these manufacturers are saying, heck, you don't need to use a disinfectant. You can just use our cloth and water because it picks up so much stuff. Well, what this study also showed is they pick up a lot of stuff they don't like to let go. So if you don't wash them perfectly, a lot of agitation, the perfect soap, the perfect temperature, you're not going to release the bacteria. Or if you don't follow the instructions, you can actually damage the cloths so the next time you use them. They don't pick up any of it. So there, it's really complicated. And that's why I like the TWIST principle of being able to grab a wipe out of a container, put it on a surface, and know that it's going to stay wet for that one minute or two minutes or three minutes, whatever the contact time is. You can toss mm-hmm. it in the garbage, and away you go. Yeah, that seems a lot more convenient, especially if you don't like doing laundry, which I would be uh, guilty as charged. <laughs> so, 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 so you want um, clean cloths or rags, right? Um, and then there's no issue as you look at different things. You know, if I were to use reusables, because I know it can get costly, you know, for some of these disposables. So clean cloths or rags, no problem. Well, that's, that's the perception out there that, you know, the pre-wetted, ready-to-go wipes are really, really expensive compared to diluting a solution. But when you start to look at all the factors that tie into this, there's other issues involved. Yes, you can have a clean rag, but there's a lot of cloths, depending on the chemistry that you're using, will actually take that chemistry out of solution because it binds to the cloth, something called quark binding. So if you're using a disinfectant that has a whole bunch of N-alkyl kind of things in it or quaternary ammonium compounds or benzocodium chloride, there's a lot of different things that we call quats, all chemical-sounding names. Basically, if you look at the label and the chemical wraps around the entire label, it's a quat. Uh, but the problem with those is if you use a face cloth or an old towel to apply it, and this is quite common in many healthcare settings, especially in long-term care, it will actually take that cloth right out of the solution. So all you're doing is wiping the surface with a wet cloth. It's not leaving any of that kill chemical on the surface. So there's more to it. And it's not just old cloths. There's a variety of different microfiber cloths, which is a combination of um, you know different things to make that cloth. They actually also will pull the cloth out of solution. So in essence, you're just wiping the surface again with a wet cloth. So there's some factors that you have to look at with your cloth. And then it also, as I said, if you wash a microfiber too many times, it doesn't work as a microfiber anymore. If you put it through a uh, dryer to dry them, to ship them back from your laundry to the floor, that can hurt the microfiber too. So you have to be very sure that what you're using as a chemical is compatible with your cleaning tools. No, that's extremely helpful. And thanks for reminding me about the quat binding. And so you kind of had another issue on there, and I, I just remember a bunch of question marks, but... Um, when you were talking, can you talk a little bit about some other things to keep in mind? Well, I think, I think that with microorganisms being invisible, a lot of what I like to see is your procedural steps. Who is doing the cleaning? What are they cleaning? Or what are they responsible for? When is it done? And how is it being done? Because to me, everyone has to know what their role is in cleaning and disinfection. And I've run into situations where people have said to me, I don't clean. We have people that do cleaning. And I'm thinking, well, no, you know, if you see something that's dirty, you need to clean and disinfect it. If you, you know, I always go back to my mom. You made the mess, you clean it up. Uh, Or your mother doesn't work here, clean up after yourself. 
Yes, we have trained people to do our teaming and disinfection. Yes, they're there. They have very clear roles and responsibilities. But what gets me sometimes, and I've got a chart that I like to use in my presentation, and it's alphabetical from bed rails down to wires, right? Uh, alphabetical, mm -hmm. all the different things that you might find in a ward, in a hospital. And you can do this anywhere. If you have to clean a store or a daycare or a school, find out who cleans what. Call everybody together and say, okay, what does our environmental services technicians clean? What do other staff have to clean and how frequently is it done? And unfortunately, you usually find there's this little orphan piece of equipment that nobody cleans. Because somebody will point at the person across them going, I thought you cleaned that. And they're going, no, 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 I thought you cleaned that. And if you don't have those clear roles and responsibilities, you're going to miss stuff or it doesn't get done effectively. I do a lot of talks on how to clean an operating room really quick between cases. And the first part of that is making sure everyone that's doing the cleaning knows exactly what they're responsible for. And that's how you get effective stuff being done. And it gets back to those germs being invisible. Oh, absolutely. And I, I totally think that makes sense. You know, everybody knowing their role and make sure, um, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. Um, another question I have is, you know, I go through a lot of different facilities, whether it be schools or retail establishments, um, just general buildings. And, and I don't ever see, well, I shouldn't say ever, but I don't often see product just sitting out um, for people to do, do cleaning. Um, doesn't that seem like it's a little bit counterproductive? Totally. Uh, I have to agree with you 100%. If you can't, we all need visual cues. And it's funny, listening to you talk about some of the slides that I, or some of the things I talked at at the start, you're very visual. You remember that it had question marks on it, right? So to me, having that visual cue of a disinfectant wipe sitting out there, if somebody walks past with a piece of equipment that they just use, say a, a wheelchair or a shopping cart even, uh, if I got a shopping cart and there is a disinfectant wipe sitting at the entrance of the store, I'm going to think, hey, maybe I should clean my cart. Whereas if I grab a shopping cart prior to all of the stuff that's gone on with uh, the new SARS, if I grab the shopping cart and didn't see a disinfectant wipe, it's probably not at the front of my mind. I'm thinking about, I can't forget I got to get eggs, and last week I forgot the toothpaste. I don't have that visual cue. Now, the reason sometimes they have to be out of sight is because the chemistry in those wipes is hazardous enough to other people or flammable enough that they don't want the general public to use them. So if you, you know, if you have a wipe that you have to have gloves on to touch it, or if you have a wipe that causes substantial but temporary eye damage, right, this is stuff I see on safety data sheets, and I wanted to leave that out for the public to use, I'd have to put a sign above it saying, you know, if you want to use this disinfectant wipe, you need to put on gloves, you need to have goggles on to use the wipe to meet the compliance of our safety things. So a lot of facilities will put them out of sight, they'll keep them in, you know, a janitor's closet or, you know, hidden away so that the people that do the cleaning regularly know where they are, they know how safe or unsafe they are. Uh, and I would rather get to a wipe that is safe enough that you can leave it out that if you touch the chemistry, you're not going to hurt your hands. If you happen to get a little bit in your eye, it's not really going to cause any damage. That, to me, is the ideal disinfectant to have out there. Right. Something that you know is going to be safe. That totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, you talked earlier about um, one of the products yeah. is like some kind of acid or something. But, you know, when you talk about the products, I know that, you know, I personally have issues when I have to clean with something that, you know, bothers me, both from a, an odor standpoint or it's just darn unpleasant. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, there's. it gets back to if 
people are happy with a product, they tend to use it more. Uh, we, we've shown that before. The problem is many times we'll hide um, problems with different disinfectants and cleaning agents by adding the scent to them, right? So you finish cleaning your home and it has a nice piney scent, which means absolutely nothing. Uh, so I don't like working with something with a strong odor. Where I live up here in Canada, we're pretty much scent-free on everything that we do. In my hospital, I had to have products that had the lowest possible odor to them because there's a lot of people with environmental sensitivities, scent sensitivity, to the point where around Easter, you couldn't bring lilies into my hospital because, or lilacs off of trees because that scent was enough to put people into respiratory distress. And I know if I have to approach a product that I'm thinking, oh, right, I have to hold my breath while I wipe down this area because it stinks so much, I'm just not going to do a good job with it. So we have to make sure that we don't bring stuff in that everybody goes, oh, do I have to use that? We want something that people are saying, hey, this, look how good this clean. Um, my patients are much safer or my clients that are coming into my facility are really going to like it because it really looks good in here. You know, just when you walk into a place and there's a specific odor, you know, Everybody has a different perception of it, so I, I I understand that and can relate. So, can you talk a little bit? I, I think you talked a little bit about diluters and um, kind of you know the dispensing things that we use across facilities. Um, you know, what do you think about diluted chemistries? Well, you know, diluted chemistries is a nice way to send them because you're not shipping a lot of water to people, right? They get a concentrate that they add water to. But right at that point, when they have to add the water to it, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. So if somebody says you add one ounce to a gallon and you've got this uh, bucket, you know, a one gallon bucket of concentrate, you then have to measure it out and put it into an accurate volume of water. So there's inherent problems with that. Uh, plus you're working with the concentrate, so you're probably gonna have to have goggles on, gloves on, and maybe chemical goggles and chemical gloves, depending on what you're working with. So that's the problem. Um, a lot of times, and I think we finally got away from it, people take that jug of disinfectant and pour it into a bucket of water so you hear glug, 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 and they think that's, that should be an ounce. That's not the right way to do it, right? If I tell you one ounce in a gallon of water, as a manufacturer, that's how I tested it. I tested one ounce. I didn't go glug, glug, glug. And mm -hmm. too often, a lot of people think, well, if it's one ounce, two ounces is probably better, right? So I add more to it. Well, that's not how we tested the product. And we can actually give you machines that will automatically dilute it. So you take that jug of concentrate, you screw it into a machine, you say, I want this dilution, and the machine sucks water and the concentrate and puts it into a bucket. Well, that's all fine and dandy if everything works. So many times you have to make sure that you check the solution coming out of your diluter. Uh, and every manufacturer that sells you a concentrate will tell you how frequently that should happen. There's lots of little bits and pieces that have to go right to give you the right product out there. I saw one paper where the water to that janitor's area, to that machine that did the dilution, the water pressure was too strong, and it was adding too much water to the solution. So even though you said, I want it at 800 parts per million, it was only coming out at 200 parts per million because so much water was shooting into it. And it wasn't until they actually tested each of those stations, what was coming out of it, that they all started going, whoa, this one's empty, doesn't even have a container in it. These two are broken. I can't get it to work at all. And then all of the other stations, and I think they tested 35 different stations where they diluted in this building. None of them were diluting properly because of water pressure. 
I've also seen, I was in on a call with another person and I said, you know, let's check a couple of the dilutions here and see how things are going. And the first station was fine. Second station was fine. Third station wasn't working properly. And we took a look around and I found out on the other side of the wall was a dishwasher and it was running. And every time it ran, it decreased the water pressure so it didn't work properly. So there's a lot of things that can go on. Not only that it's an incorrect dilution, but if you're not doing it properly, those microorganisms that you can't see, right back to my first point, you may not be killing properly, which is putting everybody at risk. Wow. Well, I, I do have one question that comes up a lot is if I have a product that say you use a half an ounce per gallon in your diluter through dilution and it takes 10 minutes to kill, if I make it a full ounce, would it now go to five minutes? No. Great question, though, because that sort of makes sense. If, if I've done it at you know, this dilution and that's what they tell me, if I add more, it should be fine. Mm -hmm. The problem is you're becoming a chemist. When we test this product in the laboratory to get our little drug identification number in Canada or our uh, Environmental Protection Agency number in the U.S., we have to test it at a very specific concentration, time of contact, pH of those solutions, temperature, like all this stuff is factored in. So any change made to it is what we call off-label. And I can't make yeah. any kind of a guarantee. You may find by putting in more concentrate that it's actually less effective uh, because there's other things happening within that solution that we just don't know about. So I don't like seeing people become a chemist. Remember when I talked about that quat finding where it takes the quat right out of solution? Yeah. I've heard of other, I've heard of other people saying, well, you know, if, it, if you're putting in the half ounce, just put in an ounce and a half in case the quat's coming out of solution. And I, I, you can't do that. Now you're the chemist, and you're doing it totally off-label as to how we tested it. So there's no guarantee the product's going to work if people start playing with that delusion. Wow. No, that's helpful because I, I, I know, you know, if it's chocolate, I know more is better. So I just thought maybe it would apply to the disinfectant. So I'm there with um. you. <laughs> so any kind of parting wisdom you'd like to give our group here um, as far as what could go wrong? I think uh, what people have to recognize is it's not just a matter of wiping a surface with a cloth that's wet with something. Uh, there's a lot more to it there. There's about 10 easy factors that we need to look at here to make sure that we're taking care of those invisible microorganisms. We've got the right dilution, the right product. It's compatible with our cloth that we're using. Nobody's afraid of it. So there's a lot of stuff that can go into it. It boils down to you want the right product in the right place used by the right person that knows what they're supposed to do. And it's not a mindless kind of thing. There's always some checking that should happen. And we've got a podcast just on validation and how to make sure that your steps are going well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and that's something to take a good look at, how to guarantee that your cleaning and disinfection process is actually working. So there's a lot to it. Got it. No, that is extremely helpful. Well, Jim, this has been great. I kind of, there's a lot to consume here as far as what can go wrong. And I know there's a lot of things that can go right. And um, I really appreciate your, your tutelage here and your insights on, on some great practice things to consider. So thanks again, Jim, for a great, great podcast. Not a problem. Thanks a lot.